Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Oh boy, a lot of stuff going on. Um, one of the things I'll just mention as we uh, get ready to start is this, um, this whole COVID variant and, and Biden coming out saying, we're going to have to get everybody injected. We're going to have to wear masks again and all kinds of crazy stuff. Look, man, um, th- we're going to have to push back on that stuff. We're, we're going to have to say, no, not happening. We're not, you're not going to jab us with an experimental vaccine, uh, not even a vaccine, a, a death, death shot, and you're, you're not going to make us wear masks. And I can watch, watch this. Uh, they're going to try to reinstall that. And it, it, understand this. When communists take over, or even fascists take over, they want a symbol of loyalty to them, and they typically, in, in regimes, make people wear certain things uh, on their clothing or whatever to symbolize loyalty. The loyalty to the communists here in America is wearing a mask. That's, that's the, the symbol. And uh, I just want to point that out, that, hey, look, man, they're not done with this stuff, and we're going to have to push back a little bit, because this is a threat to our... Our, our liberties, and this is a threat to our health, and, and, and it's serious business, man. So anyway, we're going to go back into our series now in the life of Abraham. We're looking at uh, Genesis 21, and uh, what I've entitled this is the spiritual, uh, a spiritually urgent attitude is needed to protect the good. And what you're going to see is a situation where uh, the disruption of Ishmael uh, persecuting Isaac in the family is going to give cause to Abraham to do something about it and to take action. And the principle we're working with is the concept of the good always protects the weak from evil. And that's typically in America, we adopted that in America uh, from our Judeo-Christian background, and we've always been like that until recently. And recently, what's going on now with the people in control of our world and our society is they protect the criminals uh, and and make the innocent vulnerable. Like you just saw on the the Prophecy Update about San Francisco. Why does Norsom pull out of San Francisco? Because it's crazy. It's a dystopia. You've let homeless people uh, and drug addicts all over the city, defecating on the ground. L.A. is the same way. And it's like, oh yeah, these mayors of these towns will not protect the community. They will not protect the innocent from the criminal activity. And uh, again, you, we, we, here in Bakersfield, we have our own complaints, obviously. But the principle we're working with is this. In the Bible, it is the strong that defends the weak from evil. It's a simple principle, but you're going to see this Abraham take action. And it's a good example that we all need to understand because there's a lot of evil being perpetrated on us right now. And now it's time for us to stand. Otherwise, you're going to lose your country. Otherwise, you're going to lose the church. You're going to lose what you value if you don't stand up to it. That's the call, the clarion call today. Now, let me give you the setting. If you haven't been with us, we've been studying Abraham. And Abraham did a major mistake a long time ago. A mistake that affects us today in the Middle East. Um, God had told Abraham, you're going to have a promised child. And through your promised child, the Abrahamic covenant will go through him and then eventually uh, produce a nation. And that nation then would eventually produce the anointed one, the Messiah we know as Jesus. 
And, and that, that's the, the, what God has promised. Now what happened is God made them wait 25 years for this. And through those years of waiting, they got impatient. And Abraham took matters into his own hand, and so did Sarah. They can't have a child. She's barren. And so they figured out, well, maybe what God meant was that I could go to the concubine that we got from, uh, from Egypt named Hagar, and maybe I'll go to her, have a baby through her, and that's what maybe God meant. Um, no, it's not what he meant, um, and that's definitely what he shouldn't have done. In the culture, that was acceptable. When, you, when the wife was barren, you could go to a concubine to have children. And again, this was all for inheritance rights and whatnot. It was a very common thing practiced. So Abraham didn't do anything out of the culture. He just did something wrong with God is what he did. And it's a huge mistake, a huge mistake. Because all that you saw some of the prophecy updates about, you know, Lebanon and Israel right now, and it really is Hezbollah up there attacking Israel. That right there is an example of the problem that Abraham created 4,000 years ago. The Arab people versus the Jews is where the conflict comes from, just from, right from here. Anyway, just to backtrack, just to give us some perspective on the problem, and it says, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. And we, we studied this about three weeks ago, but just as a refresher, let me show you what's going on. So, so finally, the child of the promise is born, Yitzhak, or Isaac. And they're having a weaning party. So he's about two or three years old, it's, and, and this is what they would do in the Hebrew culture. So anyway, Isaac has already, uh, or sorry, uh, uh, Ishmael has been born. He's about 17, 20 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. And at the party, Ishmael get, becomes very aggressive towards the little boy, and starts, in the word, is scoffing. It, it's more than just scoffing and mocking and laughing. It's more than that. It's a deceptive activity that proves to be harmful. The apostle Paul, commenting on this, uses the word persecution. He uses uh, dioko in Greek, which means, like, he persecuted. That's how we would translate it, that he persecuted the little boy physically. So there's a threat on the, the boy's physical life, is really what's happening here at the party. Sarah sees it, obviously she's communicating to Abraham, saying, hey, we got a problem here. And again, it's deeper than just a physical threat. It's a threat to the line of the Messiah. Because as you know, through the Abrahamic covenant will come Isaac, and, and then Jacob, and then the 12 tribes, and out of the 12 tribes, Judah, and then through Judah will be David. And out of David, will, from that line, will come Jesus, the Messiah, right? So it's not just a physical threat to his life, it's a spiritual threat to the line of the Messiah. So it's at that level, okay? And this is what Abraham and Sarah are seeing uh, happen. Well, uh, uh, Abraham was already told by God what kind of man he would be. And he actually lived up to it. And by the way, God does a broad brush, uh, brush of approach and generalizes that the people coming from this guy will be like this too. So this is a prophecy not only about Ishmael, but his descendants. Now again, it's not me broad brushing it. It's not me stereotyping. It is God. And when God can, God can stereotype, okay? God can broad brush. And when he does this, he says, this is the kind of people that this guy will produce. And it comes from a hatred from his mom. 
And the hatred then is passed on from his mom to Ishmael, and Ishmael will pass on this hatred to his offspring, which is now the hatred that you see in the Middle East towards the Jews by the Arab people. And again, it's not every Arab person. Uh, There's definitely Arabs that don't think like this, but in general, this is what happens. Well, what is the connotation here? He's a wild man. Well, it's actually a wild donkey of a man, the way you translate it in Hebrew. Now, it's funny, this, the first service, I had a horse lady in here, and she knew her horses. And she says, Brandon, did you know um, uh, that, that, that uh, there was a, an ancient, I don't know what you want to call them, donkey type of thing, but it was much bigger than the, the typical donkey that you see today, the little donkey that runs in the Negev and, and, and uh, in the area of Israel, there's a lot of wild donkeys, but they're little, and they're running around all over the place. But she said there was an ancient donkey, and I can't remember the name of it she told me. She says um, that roamed in that area, and the Egyptians actually tried to uh, uh, use them because they were big, uh, but they were so stubborn and that you, you, they would even bite, they would bite their masters, and they would kick their masters, even the ones that feed them. And she said the Egyptians just gave up on these, these types of donkeys, and they, uh, they wanted to use them in war because they were big and stout, but they were unmanageable, they were untrainable, they were unteachable, and so finally, I guess they, they, they became extinct, apparently. Well, if that's the same animal, then when it says he's a wild donkey of a man, it not only means that he's a wanderer and has no place, but he's stubborn, he's unteachable, he, he bites the, the hand that feeds him type of animal. And then it goes on, his hand will be against every man, that this guy's the aggressor, he attacks people initially. And then you can see the attack with Ishmael to Isaac, why would a 20-year-old kid or young man attack a little kid? Why would they do that? Oh, well, it's the same thing as when Hezbollah and Hamas and Fatah go and blow themselves up in a, in a bus. They won't take the IDF on. They just go and blow up a pizza parlor with innocent civilians. That's how Ishmael works. That's his mindset. And then it says, uh, and every man's hand will be against him. Again, refreshing our minds is that people will have to retaliate against him. And that's exactly what Israel's doing today with Iron Dome and all the other things that they do when these terrorists attack them. And then he will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. means that Israel or the family of Yitzhak and Jacob and Israel, basically Israel, will be surrounded by him, which is exactly what you see today. There's Israel in the blue, and everyone around them are descendants of not only Ishmael, but Esau, that surround Israel, obviously causing the conflict that you see today. So it's a big problem, okay? So now the problem has come to a head. It's in the family. Ishmael is physically doing something that threatens the line of the Messiah and threatens the life of uh, Yitzhak. So here's the principle. The principle is this. You're going to have knuckleheads in your family. You're going to have knuckleheads in work. You're going to have knuckleheads in your community. You're going to have knuckleheads in the church. They're everywhere. Knuckleheads are everywhere. Okay? They're just, that's just part of life. You can't get away from knuckleheads. But at the issue, at the issue is, when the knucklehead starts doing stuff that threatens the good, you and I are required to take action against that. You can't sit passively by it and say, well, uh, let's give it some time and we'll see how this works. No, no. No. The call of the day is, you see something threatening the good, you're to act. You're to take action. That's what Abraham's going to do. Now, again, 
just to give you the emotional feeling, okay? I want you to feel emotionally what Abraham and Sarah are seeing with the boy. I want you to see this Belgian boy forced to kiss Muslims' feet in Belgium. And, and, and ask yourself, does this not stir you to do something to stop that? You understand what Sarah and Abraham are seeing? Okay, right there, that's a picture of the West kissing the feet of Islam because Islam is taking over Europe. That's a picture of the West bowing down and kissing the feet of an Islamic takeover of Europe. But what's the picture in America? We're kissing the feet of wokeism. We're kissing the feet of communism. If that doesn't boil your blood, I don't know what is. That is what is a picture of what Abraham and Sarah saw, and now that's why they're going to take action. Again, more things that boil your blood. When churches start allowing imams to preach in their church, which is a violation of 2 John, how is that allowed? That should be forbidden. It's actually forbidden, but yet now the churches say that's okay to do. If that doesn't make your blood boil, that has to have action taken against it. That's apostasy. So therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. At the, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Of course, it's displeasing. He's in between a rock and a hard place. And one of the things I want to give you a principle about is this. The consequences of the decisions that we make from the past, okay, sometimes don't give us the best options in the present, okay? As you can see, Abraham made a decision a long time ago, made a big mistake by having a child through Hagar. Big mistake. Now he is stuck in a decision that doesn't give him a lot of good options. He's going to have to do something to protect Yitzhak's life and the Abrahamic covenant, which is going to basically force him to push Ishmael and Hagar out of the family, completely and permanently. That's not a good option, but it is the only option. And please understand, that is what happens when you and I make hasty decisions, not trusting God, not seeking his counsel. We will make decisions, and then we get into a situation later in life where there are no good options, and you have to do like the lesser of the evil, so to speak, to protect the good. And you will end up hurting other people because of it. That's the situation Abraham finds himself in. This whole thing could have been avoided had he not done that. But here we are. And sometimes that's how we are. We're in the middle of it. We don't have a lot of good options. And so basically, what we have to do is take the higher principle. So watch what God says to him. This is review still. But God said to Abraham, do not let this be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman, wherever... Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. And what is the idea? The God's saying, look, man, 
You're going to have to do something about it. Don't worry about the boy. I'm going to make him a nation, so don't leave the results up to me. I'll deal with him. But you need to do something right now in your family. You need to cut this off. What is the, what is the point? The point is when you get into a situation like this where you don't have a lot of good options, you have to choose the highest principle, the highest value, the highest law from Scripture, and then you just go with that. So for instance, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you were in Nazi Germany, and, and they were coming to your door, and you were hiding Jews, okay, and they asked you, do you have any Jews in the house? What would you do? What's the higher law in that? Keep the life or lie. You know what I'm saying? Those are the two laws you're dealing with. What's the higher law? The higher law is to protect the life so in order to protect a life, I'm going to have to lie. No, I do not have any Jews here. Move on. Right? So, so you would not put, say, well, I don't want to lie. They're here. And, by, and, and, and by, by satisfying that law, you violate the higher principle of the life. Right? You can't do that. So in situations where you're like, you don't have a lot of good options, choose the higher principle. Choose the higher law. Now, in this case, what is the higher law? The line of the Messiah must be protected. This kid, Ishmael, is threatening that very existence because he's physically threatening it. You have to get him out of the house. Okay, That's what's the higher law in this situation. Now, simple verse, but profound. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Okay, So here's what's going on. That night was the, the feast, okay? So this is where we pick up in the story. And they had that feast and, you know, the weaning party, and this is when it happened that evening that it went haywire. So Abraham already knows what to do. He's already been told by God. And so Abraham acts immediately. So he gets up early. That's the first thing on the agenda. He's not like, well, let's wait for two weeks. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how they interact. Let's wait a month. Let's wait a year. No. I'm going to get up early, and tomorrow I'm going to deal with this. There's principles all over the place here. Okay? So a couple things I want to mention. When you have a problem that threatens the good in your family, the devil is going to come to you to tempt you to procrastinate it to kick the can down the road. Well, let's just see how Uncle Billy uh, reacts next Christmas. I know he really threw a shoe this Christmas, man, but, you know, he was drunk and, or whatever, and let's just see how, let's give him another chance. No, you deal with it. You don't kick the can down the road. You deal with it immediately because procrastination becomes a drug to the individual that does it because it soothes their anxiety well, yeah, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it, but they don't ever get to it. So it becomes an addiction, actually. Believe it or not, when you study procrastination and why it happens, the person adopts a hoarder mentality. You ever been around a hoarder? You went to their house and their garage? Whoa, why do you keep this? This is old cartons that held Big Macs from McDonald's. Why, why are you holding on to this? Because I might need it. Or some weird stuff. Or this is, a, this is a, the, the first poopy diaper that my child ever made. And I have it under glass 
because this was the first diaper that I had. Dude, get rid of that. Oh no, it would hurt me too much to get rid of my first poopy diaper from my child. I can't do that. That's a hoarder. That's a hoarder mentality. But what is the hoarder wanting to do? The hoarder is thinking, I will miss that too much, or I might need that, or I might, there's a part of somebody that I want, even though I don't like all, the rest of them, I like a part of them, and I want to keep that back. That's the essence of procrastination. They want to keep something going, and they don't want to lose something. You see this in relationships, by the way. Like, you go to somebody, and they're single, and they're dating some creep, and you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Oh, yeah, I know. And you point out like 12 bad things about them, right? And, and they see, and they, yeah, I know, but he's really, really good in this area. And it's like, really? You, would, you, would, you, would, you want to hold on to him because of one good area, but there's 12 other like red flags, like run. And they will still hold on to that one thing. And he's like, what are you, crazy? Yes, they are. Yes, at that point, they're crazy. They're emotionally crazy, right? But again, that's a hoarder mentality. I want to keep a piece of that. So what does Abraham do? He acts immediately, and notice this. Now, here's the first thing I got to give you the caveat to. This is not him being, like, unsympathetic. Uh, this is not Abraham being callous. This is not Abraham giving them enough. Please understand that. Let me, let me explain this. Let's read it. And he took bread and a skin of water, about three gallons of water, okay? And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Now, it's not the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew is, is talking, it's not like, get out of here. It's not that. It's very kind. It's very nice. The Hebrew word is a very soft word that they departed very softly, like, this is unfortunate. This is happening, but you're going to have to leave, yada, yada, yada. It's very soft. But then you're going to think, well, for goodness sakes, Abraham is rich. Yeah, he's got a lot of money. How come he didn't load her up with a bunch of gold? How come he didn't give her a bunch of livestock to take with her and help her? Why did he only give her bread and a skin of water, three gallons of water? Why is that? There's all kinds of implications here. Number one, this is enough of the supply to get her to the next oasis, okay? And that's all he's obligated to do. She is the one that's been causing problems. Her and, and Sarah have been going at it, okay? But here's the key. One of the things that Hagar has done is passed on her hatred and resentment to the 20-year-old. He, she has flipped him and turned him against Abraham and God and, and Yitzhak. So her hatred is passed on. So yes, you can pass on your hatred for other people, and she's done that. The second thing to note is that he, Abraham will not give any money from his wealth. Why? Because of inheritance issues. Ab uh, Abraham's inheritance is to go to Yitzhak or Isaac, not to anyone else. Inheritance rules back then were important, but it's also a spiritual aspect. Since the Abrahamic covenant is going through Isaac, he must get everything. Not a penny can go to anyone else. And so Yitz uh, sorry, Ishmael is not given anything because to do so would be sharing the inheritance with a, 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 um, a non-family member, per se, from the Abrahamic covenant. And you can't do that. So it's a, it has physical and, and spiritual ramifications. And so it's not Abraham being mean or like, why doesn't he give him like 20 bucks or something like that? No, no, he can't do that. He's forbidden to do that because of the Abrahamic covenant, okay? 
It's, it's the same today. For instance, you have replacement theology in the church. The church can't borrow from Israel's blessings. You can't do that. Israel's blessings are their blessings. We can't steal their blessings. It's theirs. And that's how it works with inheritance, even in a spiritual level. Okay, that being the case, he gets up early, sends her on her way. We're done. Get out of the house. You're done. We can't have you here anymore. What are, the, what are some principles I want to show you through this? So I want to camp out a little bit. When you have a spiritually urgent attitude, it deals with the threats to protect the good. Just like you would protect your family, protect your marriage, protect your home, protect your community, protect the schools, protect your church. So first thing you have to realize, and what Abraham is doing, is staying in touch with the reality of the pain of the threat. See, if you're procrastinating, that means a fire is not lit under you. If you're just kicking the can down the road, what lights a fire is that you feel the pain of the fire and the house is on fire so you would get up out of your seat. So you have to feel the pain of what's going on in the family, what's going on in the community, whatever. But what happens is, and this is what's going on in America, people are becoming numb to the pain. They're becoming numb to it. Look, whether I use Bakersfield as an example or San Francisco and L.A., our culture has become numb to the homeless problem. And it's like, yeah, that's just the way it is. That's the way. We can't do anything about it. And you just start getting numb to it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That's a dystopia, right, as an example. But look at this. In, 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 now the major OBGYN groups are calling for abortion without limits. I mean, there's no, no, no third semester, we don't do that, we don't do it afterward. No, no, it's without limits, we just kill our children, sacrifice them to Moloch, it doesn't matter now. And what's happened? I, I've looked on a political scale, on the, especially the Republicans, and it's like, this is not even an argument for them anymore. This is, well, it's just too political, we don't want to divide. What? This is the life of a child. Even the churches won't get involved in this anymore. Oh, that's too political, it's just too political. What? How did saving the life of a child become political? The churches and the culture are becoming numb to the murdering of babies. They're not in touch with the pain. Oh, you want to get in touch with the pain? Figure out what they do in an abortion. Figure out how they suck the, the child's brains out of their head and chop up the, the, the baby. Then you'll wake up. Then you'll see the butchering that's going on. But people are becoming numb as if this is nothing going on. Look at this, the whole grooming thing. You can't get used to this. Every time, you know, the, the culture, every time you turn around, this is on the front page, everyone's wearing a, a rainbow flag, yada, yada, yada. And what's happening, they're desensitizing the culture to this. And again, like I said, this is not coming from San Francisco. The two main issues that's pushing the LGBT agenda and the transgender is the government and the corporations. That's what's happening, okay? That's who's pushing it, not some fr from San Francisco. But people are becoming numb to this. They're getting used to it. Look at this. School district pays mom 100,000K to settle suit alleging officials secretly transitioned her daughter. You, this is an issue you can't become numb about it. It is the pain of someone taking away parental rights and then grooming the child to transition to another gender. Are you serious? Don't become numb to this. And look at this. I, I'm for this kid. He's a 12-year-old. God bless him. I don't know if you read the story this week. His woke teacher kicked him out of class because he said, she said she didn't like his patch on his backpack. 
The, bat, the patch was the Gadsden flag. You guys know the Gadsden flag? Well, oh, and the teacher said, that's a racist symbol. It's like, teacher, have you ever took history? Dude, take American history. This was from the Revolutionary War. This is from the 13 colonies, for goodness sake. Sometimes you'll see the snake uh, chopped up in uh, uh, 13 pieces, right? And what was it, the Gadsden flag? It was to tell Britain, look, don't take away our liberties. Don't mess with us. I'm a snake in the grass. Just leave me alone. I will rattle if you get close to taking my liberties. I'll warn you. And then if you try to take my liberties, I'll bite you. But pretty much, I'm going to live peacefully if you just leave me alone. So it was, a, it was a, from our founding fathers to Great Britain to say, hey, man, back off, right? Don't tread on me or I'll bite you. The woke teacher took this as, oh, you're being racist. What? So they kicked him out. Unbelievable. But yet, they can wear a pride flag on the backpack, can't they? They can wear a Satanist upside-down star, can't they? No one's going to say anything. Oh, you're, this is poor little 12-year-old. I like that guy. I'm for that kid. Good for him. But don't become numb to this. Second point, I want to, as we camp out on this, okay? The spiritually urgent attitude deals with threats to the good by what? Taking on responsibility and the problem, regardless of who started it. You know, the thing about it is Abraham started the problem. Obviously, he's the one, so he should solve it. But then the problem between his wife and Hagar, and they're going at it, two ladies going at it. Obviously, you can see the rivalry going on. And, and he could easily punt this and say, you know what, you two ladies figure it out. I'm going to sit this one out. Oh, no. And there's a lot of guys that will do that, right? They're passive. They won't get involved. When you have a spiritually urgent problem, I don't care who started the problem. I'm going to finish it. I want the problem to stop. I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. I want the problem to stop. Because right now, this is good versus evil. And, and I better take responsibility to do something. So a lot of people, like, you know, hey, Brandon, why are, you, why are you worried about the public schools? You're making your own school here. And, you know, we're encouraging people to pull their kids out. Uh, what do you care about the public schools? Because it's all of our problem. It is all of the, it's the community's problem. And if someone doesn't stand up for the other kids, who will? If we're not going to do it, if their own parents are not going to do it, we have to care. We are a brother's keeper. Let me warn you about a couple of things about taking action, responsibility in something. You better warn your kids about using chat GPT. I'm just going to tell you right now, this thing is demonic. This thing is leading people astray. This thing starts up saying it's Jesus and, and giving some Gnostic version for transgenderism. Okay, saying that Jesus accepts transgenderism and, and whatnot. Please understand, this, the, the, the AIs are, are inputted from leftists, okay? So they're going to they're gonna spit out certain things, okay? Not a biblical worldview. So your kids messing with ChatGPT, you can have the leftist view, and there's no doubt about that, or... The demons are actually using this in many ways to lie and to promote false teachings. And this is like Gnosticism. So people were saying, well, where did transgenderism come from? Actually, transgenderism comes from Gnosticism. It was an early heresy that the early church fought. And what was it? Think about this. Watch this. In Gnosticism, which claimed to be Christian, an evil god put the spirits of people in their bodies, okay? And the salvation was for the person 
to get out of their body and, and, and that the body was evil and this evil God put them in the body that was evil and it's the evil God's fault for putting them in that body. So liberation from the body was salvation. Hence, anything they did in the body didn't, didn't matter. They could be the most uh, grossest and immoral people they could possibly be because the body was separate from the soul. Interesting enough, this is where we kind of get transgenderism. Because in transgenderism, what is the person saying? I'm put in the wrong body. The evil God put me in the wrong body, and I want liberation from this body. So even though I can't get free right now of my body, I'm going to change my body to fit what the evil God did to me, how I feel. It's nothing but Gnosticism, guys. There's nothing new under the sun. This is why it's so dangerous. And by the way, the rise of transgenderism is directly proportionate to when TikTok arrived on the scene. Okay? So you can watch the rise of TikTok and transgenderism, and TikTok, which comes from China, is behind the promotion of that. Interesting enough, China knows to take America down, you've got to take her Christianity down and her morality, and that's exactly what TikTok is doing. So as a parent, what would I do? You're not using ChatGPT, and you're definitely not using TikTok. Oh, Dad, you're such a tyrant, I can't believe you. Well, I don't want a woke kid. I definitely don't want a transgender kid because you're on TikTok. So at some point, the parents got to stay, the adult in the room, and say, we're not doing this. No more TikTok. No more ChatGPT. We're off. It's off. Otherwise, you end up with pastors like this. Now, this is a pastor. He's a clown pastor. Now, why, why are you shocked? Why are you shocked? Because you know good and well, they've already allowed transgender pastors, right? Dudes thinking they're pastors and they're, they're dressing up like women and vice versa. Why, why would you not have a, a clown from Halloween be your pastor? Why not? And, and that pastor down here that looks normal with the clown guy, um, he's allowing it. Why would you allow that? See, the, see, that pastor is not good. He's not protecting the good. He's not protecting his flock. So we're going to let clown pastor come in and preach a sermon to him. Third thing, you have to set deadlines. When you see something attacking the good, you have to set a deadline. What's the deadline? Abraham's the first thing tomorrow. I'm dealing with this. He didn't say, oh, let's give it a month. Let's give it six months. I'm dealing with this. You put a deadline on people. For instance, what's the deadline on Ukraine? Has anyone, can anyone from any party tell me what's the deadline on this? Think about this. The Ukraine, uh, Ukraine has lost 400,000 men, over 61,000 since the beginning of June uh, 4th. And then the meat grinder that it's creating, they want to get all the draft dodgers from the rest of Europe to come in and be in the meat grinder as well. Now, please tell me this. Why do we send billions of dollars to the, one of the most corrupt governments in Europe, and Zelensky is corrupt with his ties to the oligarch that got him into power, ties to offshores, ties to all this other stuff, and oh yeah, by the way, Bur the head of Burisma is the oligarch that got Zelensky in power. Oh, that was Hunter Biden's on the board of that Burisma. Oh, wait, Brandon, you're getting political. No, 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 I'm making a point. I'm making a point. 
why are we getting into a proxy war with Russia that has no ending, and we send billions and billions, our people are, are we're dying here from our economy, and yet when Maui burns down in Lahaina, the government gave them $700 per person to rebuild their life. Okay, the reason I'm bringing this up is not a political, it's a moral issue. You have to take care of your home first before you help other people. If you can't take care of your home, what are you doing sending billions of dollars to a meat grinder? You notice there's no end? Because good people put an end date on stuff. Good people set deadlines. Bad people let it run indefinitely. Four. If you're going to protect the good, you've got to act and paying attention to how the problem is affecting and hurting others and disrupting the will of God for people. See, what Abraham's thinking about is not just simply his family. There's no doubt in his family Ishmael's causing all kinds of problems. Do you have a knucklehead in your family that causes all kinds of problems? And you hate to be around them, right, because they just cause problems. Someone's going to have to do something about it. But what happens is people stop forgetting, well, that's Uncle, Uncle Bob, and we know he's a terror. But wait, wait a second. How does Uncle Bob affect your children? How does Uncle Bob affect the rest of the family? How does he affect this person or that person? People don't think like that. They just, oh, it's just make sure we don't get Bob upset. Well, wait a second. Why is he allowed to upset all 20 people in the family? See, if you're going to be a person of action to, take, to protect the good, you have to see how the person's actions is affecting other people. So, like, for instance... A bad example of this is Fauci. He doesn't see that his nefarious actions, well, maybe he does and likes it, have killed so many people. But look at this. The federal government led by Department of Defense is con contracting with private firms to enact a fear-based COVID lockdowns 2.0 again. What? They didn't learn? No, no, no. You don't understand about communists. You don't understand about Marxists. You don't understand about demons. They, don't, they, 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 they refuse to admit the truth. Who is the father of lies, right? So Satan speaks lies. You can't even get Satan to tell the truth. You can't even get a demon to tell the truth. Even though they're caught, even though you have the evidence, a demon will always lie. They never tell the truth. And that's what we have with it, our medical tyranny. They won't tell the truth even if the facts and evidence are in front of them. Because they don't care how it, how, what their agenda does to affect other people. Lastly, before I move on, if you're going to take care and protect the good, you have to project out into the future, positively and most negatively, what will happen if you don't deal with this. Okay? Let me give you an example. If Abraham doesn't deal with this, if he doesn't kick Ishmael out of the house, what will happen? Well, he's going to threaten the line of the Messiah. Okay, we're, okay, game over. So all you, all you have to do to light a fire inside of you is project out in the future, if I continue to let this behavior happen, what's going to happen? Okay, so let's, let's say you're married to a knucklehead. So you're actually married to one, right, a knucklehead. Most people become numb to the knucklehead. And they're like, well, that's just the way they are. And they're like living with high levels of dysfunction, Right? But here's what the, thing, the person won't do. They won't project into the future. What do you mean? Well, let's ask yourself this. If I, do I want to live like this a year from now? Do I want to live like this five years from now or 10? 
Because this knucklehead ain't changing. Do I want to keep going down this path? Well, when you project into the future, you say, well, no. And then that causes you to take action now because you don't want to keep living like this the rest of your life. It's a, it, it's a hell, right? You've created, there's a hell that's been created and you want to get out of it. So you have to project into the future. That's what Abraham is doing. God has made him. and said, look, he can't threaten the line. He's got to, you've got to get him out of here, as hard as that is. Let's project into the future. Do you think that having a digital ID will be a positive thing for you or a negative? I think you already know the answer. So just recently, the, G20, uh, the, the, the B20 India Communic, communic uh, is pushing the G20 to develop guidelines for a single identification marker among the enterprises. Notice this. So that individuals can be securely assessed based on consent. Oh, sure, a consent. Yeah. By different government and private stakeholders. Oh, there's the World Economic Forum words, words for identity verification and information. And notice the last phrase. To digitize the agricultural value chain to enhance credit access by leveraging alternative farm and livelihood within three years. Wait, 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 You want a digital identification, but why is that linked to farming? Now, come on, do the math. Because they want to control the food supply. Okay? Now, project out into the future. Would this be a good thing for my family or a bad thing? Obviously, you can project and say, this would severely hurt my family. This would severely take away my liberties as an American citizen. I think I better start saying something about this. I think I better start pushing my congressman and my senators who are crazier than a bed bug. I better start calling up their phones and saying, we do not want this. Listen to them. They're serious, man. The new world. Everybody should have a digital ID. Everybody should have a bank account. Everybody should have a smartphone. Okay. Then anything can be done. Everything else is built on that. Because we were talking about this yeah. before we came onto the panel. The three basic things. A smartphone, a bank account, and a digital ID. Yes. That's where every nation... Uh, in India, the, it's been named by the Prime Minister the Jam Trinity. Jandan, which is the bank account. Aadhaar, the ID, and mobile. That shouldn't cost that much. Oh, nothing. Peanuts. 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 For slavery. You have a phone? A smartphone? Yeah. Digital identification, and then a bank. All three will be linked. Oh, that way you control the buying and selling of what I do here. Yeah, you bought too much gas. You bought too much ammo, you bought too much guns, you bought too much bread. You're not green. You're not ESG compliant. Oh yeah, project into the future, what does that life look like for you and your family? Not good, it looks like slavery to me. I guess I better say something. Look, nearly fourth of the states, including biometric digital IDs. California is one of them, by the way. Then half are, are, are Republican red states. Dude, don't think this is Republican-Democrat thing. This is good versus evil. Uh, they have a nefarious thing. They're going to tell you it's for good, but it's evil. And the red states are buying into this too. So it's not like I can go to, to another red state and flee a digital identification. It's coming all over. 
Look at Major League Baseball is doing it, facial recognitions to go into a game. I don't want someone scanning my pupil. I don't want someone scanning my face. I don't want that. I, you know, I was thinking about this when I was listening to the, the, the people in Lahaina. The FBI wanted DNA. Did you hear about that? Why? Well, we want to identify, you know, the dead. But the people in Lahaina, I'm not giving the FBI my DNA or the, my, my family's DNA. Good for them. I wouldn't give the FBI my DNA either because they're cataloging it. Why do they want that? And then you have other places, Yum Brands. Uh, CFO plans to go 100 digital transactions, 100%. What do you mean, Yum Brands? Yum Brand owns KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, The Habit. They're all going digital. They're not going to take cash anymore from you. And that's the way everything's going. Well, when you have a digital currency, you can control everything. And it's coming. Project into the future, guys. Look at this. C uh, C40 cities now coming our way. Now, 14, 14 cities in the United States have signed on to this. And they want to do this by 2030. Now, I want you to imagine this. Because L.A. and San Francisco, of course, are in the mix. And what it means is that these cities won't be able to drive. These cities won't be able to eat meat or dairy or have any ownership of private vehicles. And they're wanting to start this stuff. This is a major threat. Project into the future and see how this would be good for your family. If it's a threat to your family, then what action will you take? You must resist this. You must say no to the green agenda. Now let's go back and watch this. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now uh, Beersheba is between is going down from the from the the, the where is uh, sorry uh, Israel is down to Egypt in that area. Okay, it's in it's in a desert area. But notice what it says she wandered. She eventually she knew where she was going, but the, what the Hebrew is trying to say is she got lost. She got lost along the way, and who knows how she got lost? Who knows? Uh, maybe her son was, was, I don't know, got her uh, confused. I don't know, but she gets lost. So what ends up happening is they, get, they run out of water, and the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under the one of the shrubs. Now, the boy is 1720. Here's the thing that I can't figure out. Maybe you can figure this out. How does a 17-year-old get like this when he's young and virile versus his mama. I would think the mom would go down first, but it's the boy that goes down first. I don't know. I can't figure. I remember in Bakersfield or in Delano where I grew up, cutting the lawn is like 110 at 17 years old. And it didn't even affect me. If I do it now, it would kill me. But back then, I, I could do it. I'm like, what's wrong with this guy, man? Something's up here. Something doesn't make sense, right? Okay. So... He's like passed out. He's like dying on her, right in front of her. And look what she does. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance about a bow shot. For she had said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite of him and lifted her voice and wept. Well, that is exactly the opposite of what you need to be doing. Okay? What's happening here? So her boy is dying. So as a mom, her maternal instinct would be to try to help him but instead she distanced herself from her so she can't hear him crying and she can't see him and she removes herself from the situation that's weird that's odd and that's right it is and what the, the bible is trying to show you is that there's a certain amount of dysfunction with hagar and ishmael already 
and this dysfunction will continue to get passed on. It's weird dynamics, okay? But let's, let's understand what's happening here. You can be sympathetic to Hagar in one sense, in the fact that her whole life has been disrupted because Abraham just kicked her out. But here's my thing. It seems brutal, but it's really not. Hagar, did you not see the handwriting on the wall when you decided to pick a fight with Sarah? When you decided to teach your boy to go against the Abrahamic covenant, to go against God, did you not see the handwriting on the wall that one day God ain't gonna put up with this? That one day Abraham's not gonna put up with this. But people like this are oblivious to that, by the way. They act like, oh, I can't believe you're kicking me out of the house. Well, you, you, you're an addict. You, you've been doing drugs. What are we supposed to do with you? Do you not see it coming? And one day we're not going to put up with it. Oh, I'm shocked that you would even kick me out. How mean, how unJesus you are. I can't believe you would do something. Did you not see it coming? What are you, an idiot? Did you not see the handwriting on the wall? So she gets so despondent that she just, oh, I'm going to die. And she just lets her boy, this is bad. This is, what happens here is these people throw out of reality they get stuck in the season they're in and they won't transfer to the next season. Hagar, it's over, now move on. It's time to move on. The season of life is over, it's time for you to move on. And this is the problem with all of us that we have to acknowledge. Our world is rapidly changing, okay? If you don't understand that reality, you will get stuck in things, okay? You can see this on the political level, you can see this on a, on a, on a religious level in America, they're stuck. Here's the thing. I watched um, the Republican uh, candidates, uh, uh, the thing I don't, what, what, Terry, what am I talking about? Debates. debates. I watched the debates. There, thank you. And, um, and I watched the debates, and I said, these people, these guys running for president, they don't get it. Maybe DeSantis does, and, uh, and Ramaswamy does. And what do, what do I mean? I mean, you got a guy like Pence, and I'm not trying to be political, but this is a good illustration. He's thinking America has good Christian values and, uh, you know, just going to rely back on our Christian. What are you, an idiot? It's over. The, the, we lost the culture war, Pence. We lost it. Dude, get into reality, dude. And see, what happens with people like that, they won't acknowledge that the season has changed. It's a new season. It's a new political drama. The culture has changed. Is it, has it not? Do we not see that? You have to be completely out of reality to say, oh, America's a Christian country. You have to be out of reality to say that. We lost. It's a new season. Okay, so when a new season hits us, we have to adapt to that season. It doesn't mean you surrender, give up. Oh, I'm gonna die. Let my kids die. No, no, it means I recoup and I adapt, right? And so you have to acknowledge that the season is ending. We're no longer in Amer uh, 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 Christian America, okay? We're in paganism, thank you very much, well, along with a, a little a splash of uh, Marxism and communism. And, and so I'm not going to get stuck in the grief. Oh, the good old days. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Hey, man, if I'm stuck, I can't function in the new season because I'm pining after the 1950s. It's over. Start now regrouping. Adapt. Normalize the endings in your life. Endings happen all the time. It has to be a part of what we're used to. Hey, man, what's coming next year and the year after that and five years from now is going to change all of America, what they're planning on doing if it's not stopped. You better get used to change. Look what Proverbs says. Oh, sorry, not Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 3, sorry. 
To everything there is a season for a time, a purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. You catching the drift? This is how, what, what Solomon is saying is this is how life is. You have ends of seasons and then you have the beginning of seasons. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose. And if he didn't catch him, what are you saying? He continues on. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent. A time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, and a time of war, and a time of peace. Let me ask you this. In America, what season are we in right now in the last phrase? Are we in a time of war or are we in a time of peace? We're in war. And the war I'm referring to is a spiritual war. We're at war. And if you don't recognize that, you need to wake up. This is not a time of peace. They're assaulting Christianity in America. You're at war. Welcome to the war. Now, what we need to do is adapt and prepare for the new season, what you're dealing with. Now watch. This is interesting. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven. That's Jesus, by the way, the angel of God. Okay? And said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Now he knows Fear not, for, the, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. This is exactly what he told Abraham, and that is why Abraham had no problem letting him go. Abraham knew what God had said, and he trusted him, and he said, what did God say? I'll take care of him. Let him go, and I'll make him a great nation. You don't need to worry about it, Abraham. So Abraham trusted. That's why it's not Abraham being callous, for kicking him out, it's like, okay, I can kick him out and God's gonna take care of him. And that's exactly what Jesus says to her. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave, gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, which is the uh, northern part of uh, Sinai. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. What is this? It's God taking care of the situation. There's a principle here that I want you to see. And it's a principle of freedom. What do you mean? See, in our decision making about doing something to protect the good, you're going to have to make a big decision, and that decision will hurt others. Okay? It just inevitably will. Or it'll hurt you, hurt your reputation, uh, whatever. You lose a job, whatever. But here's the thing you want total freedom in your decision making. Do you really want total freedom? Yes, I do. I want to make the right decision. Then leave the outcome to God. That's it. Well, what do you mean? Here's the, what happens. We're, we're sitting there, what kind of decision can I make? What kind of decision can I make? Well, if I do this, this is going to affect grandma. If I do this, this is going to affect my cousin Ralph. If I do this, it's going to affect my job, and no one's going to like me at work. If I do this, it's going to affect me here. You see what happens? And what happens is people start trying to control the outcomes of the decision. You can't. Abraham knew the decision made. We need to kick the boy out. And then the freedom to make that decision the next day, right away, is because Abraham says, and then I will leave the results to God. Oh, freedom. Freedom. So it boils down to something this, like this. Just do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. If it hair lips the Pope, who cares? 
I just know that I made the right decision. If my brother-in-law gets mad, if the teacher gets mad, so what? Give them over to God and let God deal with the results. Look how God took care of Hagar and Ishmael. Did he not take care of them? Yes. That's why Abraham only gave them bread and water, because he knew God would take care of them. Wow, that gives me incredible freedom. Yes, it does. Yes, it sure does. Now, it's interesting. Let me end on this, and i got to get you out of here. I watched the Netflix uh, movie, Last Dance. That's not a movie, it's a series about the Bulls and when they were winning all their championships. And uh, Michael Jordan's at the peak of his career. Obviously, he had two careers, really. He came back. And fascinating, fascinating uh, documentary about the Bulls. Uh, one, of the thing, one of the scenes caught my attention about the principle that we're learning today. And it was like during practice, and the Bulls were there in practice. It wasn't a game situation or anything like that. But they were shooting shots from like where the bench would be at a half court. And it, they, were, they were playing a game with each other who, can, who could drain it from half court. And so they were getting up there and shooting it and shooting it and shooting it. And of course, Michael gets up there and drains it, I think, if I remember right. And, 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 and they stop in the movie and, and they say, man, hey, like, what, what, what goes to your head when you're, you're going to make a half-court half shot? You know, basically trying to figure out what goes on in your head even at the game buzzer when you shoot a shot. What's going on in your head? And he goes, I can tell you this. I don't go there and say, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to make the shot. I hope I don't miss. That doesn't go through Michael Jordan's head. What goes through his head is nothing. He gets there and he executes. He just executes, does, does the right thing, makes the shot at the buzzer. He doesn't think, well, I hope I drain it, I hope I miss, I hope it doesn't come off the backboard, or I hope I don't lose the game. None of that happens in his head. And when you see top athletes like Tiger Woods or, or any sport that you see, or Mike Trout or whatever, when you see they're at the, like Brady, they don't think, I wonder if I'm going to uh, get intercepted today. They don't think like that. It's very interesting that to be a top athlete, you have to just execute and not worry about the results. Oh, that's interesting, because that's the same thing in the biblical world. I do the right thing, execute the right thing. Just do the right thing, leave the results to God. And then you will be free. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham's life of doing the right thing. We need to protect that, which is good. Help us to execute. Help us to do things quickly, to take care of business so that we can protect people from wickedness and evil. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that, come, that hasn't come to faith in Messiah, they would do so today, realizing he died on a cross for their sins, uh, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will simply believe. Speak to hearts now, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.